Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Talk Commerce, and I'm your co-host, Veronica Costello, thrilled to whip up the curtain on a conversation that's too riveting to press pause on. Today, Brent Peterson, our esteemed host, sits down with the charismatic and innovative Amina Ali, CEO of Optoro. They won't just be exchanging pleasantries, but unpacking the secrets behind transforming e-commerce returns into a customer loyalty magnet. I'm willing to bet that you haven't given much thought to returns as a pivotal part of your customer journey, but by the end of this conversation, you'll be seeing it in a brand new light. Amina will share groundbreaking insights into how artificial intelligence is literally revolutionizing the world of returns management. She'll also take us through different retailers' experiences, revealing how the smallest tweak can make the biggest impact on both customer satisfaction and bottom line. If you're wondering how you can battle return woes, switch gears from pitfalls to profits, and keep your customers coming back, then this episode is a must-listen. We're all about providing tangible takeaways that you can implement right away. No fluff, just transformative insights. So lean in, turn up the volume, and let's find out how to make returns work in your favor with a captivating conversation featuring Amina Ali. Trust us, it's an episode you won't want to miss. Great news for the Magento community. Hoofa is now fully supported by Amnesty the number one Magento extension provider. With a catalog of over 250 Magento products and solutions and a full range of custom development services, Amnesty actively invests in providing compatibility with the Hoofa theme. 33 solution compatibilities have already been released and are available as part of the regular product subscription with no extra charge and many more new compatibilities are coming. In partnership with Hoofa, Amnesty is focused on providing its clients with high-quality extensions, great performance, and a high level of service. Visit amnesty.com for more details. That's A-M-A-S-T-Y dot com. And remember to tell them Talk Commerce sent you. Is your Magento site moving at a snail's pace? Believe it or not, you're in the same boat as 90% of Magento store owners. Let's add a splash of optimism. I recently had a client who revived their site by switching to Hoofa. Their excitement was contagious. Hoofa is more than just a theme. It's like having a secret weapon in your e-commerce arsenal. Picture this, you're crafting an online space that's as vibrant, engaging, and dynamic as your brand. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? That's the Hoofa magic! Performance, top-notch! Usability, smooth as butter! With Hoofa, hitting Google Lighthouse scores of 100 isn't a dream, it's reality! My client and I have been on this exhilarating journey, and I tell you, it's a game-changer! But hey, Hoofa isn't just about turbocharging your performance. It's about putting a personal stamp on your store. The theme is fully customizable. Play around, express yourself, make it truly yours. My client has been having a blast watching their online storefront transform, supercharged by Hoofa's powerful features and tools. Ready for transformation? Why not test drive Hoofa and feel the difference yourself? Visit hyva.io that's hyva.io 
And when you get there, don't forget to mention that Talk Commerce sent you. Trust me, you're in for a treat. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Mm, hi, Brent. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. My day-to-day role is CEO of Optoro. We are the leader in returns management. I think we'll be talking a bunch about returns and e-commerce returns and all of that. My passion in life is to, at the most macro level, is to have an impact. Have an impact on my teams, on the people I work with, on society as a whole, on customers. There's a whole lot of people you can think about, like, how are you making a difference? So I'm all about making a difference to all of these folks that I come into contact with in my day-to-day job. Thank you for that. And I know that you graciously volunteered to make a difference in free jokes. So I'm just <laughs> going to tell you a joke. You can tell me if that should be remain free or not. And, or maybe if it's going to make a difference in the world and maybe getting rid of the joke completely would make a difference in the world. <laughs> Here we go. I pinned a Rolex to the post just outside my house. It's the neighborhood watch. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Classic dad joke. Yes. And can this joke be free? I think so. I would definitely advise it being free. Okay, thank you. So I'm going to, let's, returns, I was in the e-commerce space for a long time. It was called RMA, Return Merchandise. A lot of e-commerce platforms didn't come with it in the very beginning, like when we Mm -hmm. started 20 years ago, when those platforms started to come out. And and now it's such an important part of customer experience. So just tell us a little bit about why you're really diving into this and how important it is to consumers and merchants. Yeah, um, I think the problem of returns is one of those Pandora's boxes that once you opened it, there ain't no going back. Um, we've seen a couple of things. We all know that e-commerce spiked during the pandemic as a whole. And of course, e-commerce shopping spiked in the pandemic for all kinds of uh, merchandise. And in particular, the volume of online returns went up threefold since the pandemic. Like we were in the $70 billion a year neighborhood, and now we're $212 billion a year of return. So when a category goes up that much, you just can't ignore it. So that is one big factor to manage is, wow, there's a lot of returns coming in. And the second is, what are consumer expectations for those returns? And the reality is that like this unbelievable percent, like nearly 90% of shoppers are less likely to shop at that given merchant if they have a bad returns experience. And if you think about categories like apparel or footwear, at least a third of the people, if not more, I saw one study that said a third, um, they didn't even know what size they were. If you add to that all the people who know what size they are, but they have no idea if the small or medium is going to fit them and if the color is right or the cut is going to fit, there's an awful lot of bracketing behavior um, that goes on. And so people really want a free and easy way to do those returns. And there's a small company by the name of Amazon that has all conditioned to this being, generally speaking, a really easy process in terms of, say, box-free, label-free returns. People want convenience. They want comfort to know that they can order multiple sizes, colors, and then figure out what they're going to keep and return the rest. The challenge is, of course, what happens on the retailer side, on the other side of this equation, right? You have two 
two big challenges. How do you make it easy for shoppers? And then how do you process all of these returns so that they come back in inventory, you're back into circulation, and you're satisfying other shoppers who are perhaps waiting for that good. You're keeping this stuff out of landfills. You're trying to minimize the amount of markdowns. It's a hard job nowadays if you add all these pieces in. Yeah, there's a balance. I've bought shirts from companies that have an app where you they'll measure you via the app and they send you the shirt and it, it seems like the first time it never works and they just tell you to keep it and that generally that shirt probably going to end up either in the garbage or hopefully you donate it somewhere but that that's it is a concern to make sure that process is is runs smoothly but more is I like what you said earlier about how that experience affects what people are going to do next uh, talk a little bit about the post-purchase process and then yep. how we want to make sure we're getting people the right tools to be able to easily return something. Yeah, so we think of it as two halves of the equation. There's the returns experience from the shopper standpoint and the returns management from the retailer standpoint. So let's look at the first piece of it from a post-purchase experience. We, for instance, have a, a portal that retailers white label right into their user flow, whether that's a website or an app or what have you, to say, hey, we want you to shop with confidence knowing that if you don't like it, there's an easy way to return it. So you need to initiate the return. The first question from a retailer perspective is, do I even know what's coming back? And so that's where the data begins to flow through our system, which is an end-to-end returns management platform. So you need to initiate the return. Next, problemo, how do I actually do this? Yes, there's mail-in, um, you know, do your arts and crafts project with a box and the label and the tape and all that. And you can take it to the USPS and do that. But increasingly, people really want box-free, label-free drop-off options. So we launched a express return service where, for example, you can walk into a staple store, hand them the product, don't worry about the boxing and uh, labeling and all of that, and we'll take care of it. Now, the benefit to the retailer and to the environment, I should add, is consolidated shipping. You mean that is an example of a win solution, which is easier, more delightful to the shopper, and you're saving up to 20% in shipping for the retailer. And shipping is a huge portion of what actually happens. Because if you think about that, that fleece that you ordered or that sweater, you know, what is the journey of that fleece or t-shirt or whatever? It's got to get shipped to a distribution center. Somebody needs to inspect it and say, is it new, not new? Is it worn, whatever? Can it go back into stock? Percent of apparel can go back into stock because it's the wrong size or whatnot. So it's a little lint roll and bag and seal and it's ready to go back into circulation. And we end up drop shipping a lot of that back through the, the warehouses that are using our technology such that the next person who's waiting for it can actually order the product. So first step is actually initiating the return, getting it dropped off. We're going to be launching an additional service pretty soon to expand that, um, both in terms of the network as well as how you initiate that, that actual return. And then you got to get it back into the warehouse and back in circulation because the reality is, and I've talked to so many of our customers, if you especially think about 
things that are seasonal in nature. I was talking to one of our customers. They offer expensive boots, say, for hunting or for a job site or whatnot. Or you can think about seasonal apparel. I can think of a, another customer of ours, Tucker Nuck. They've got spring dresses going right now. So it's really important that dress, when it's shipped Now back to the distribution center or the warehouse actually gets back into circulation. And that kind of metric is absolutely critical as to how many days. Typically, it takes something like 30 days. We shave that down to a couple of days so that can get back into circulation so that you can make the sale. Where our customers, our retailer partners are really focused is what's happening to that CSAT when all of this is going on. If you've got 30% of goods being put through this entire mill, what is the impact of CSAT such that you don't want the product to be out of stock? You don't want people to get angry and ornery and people get pretty upset as they're waiting to get their refund. Are you asking people to wait for three to four weeks? How do you actually refund them more quickly? And more importantly, can you actually have that engagement with the consumer. So like instant exchanges has been a really popular offering of ours where we're actually using data and AI to determine, hey, Brent, I know Brent is a good customer. I could tell he shops a lot and he returns a lot. So the next time he's wanting to do a return, I'm going to ask him right then and there, can I interest you in an exchange? Was it something about this product? Was it the color? Was it the fit? Is it another product? It could be a like product or a, or a different product. And we at Optoro actually are using data to actually take that risk that Brent is going to return because we know based on his background, maybe he needs a reminder because it's sitting on his kitchen counter <laughs> waiting for him to do that. So we're actually understanding and evaluating that fraud risk to actually promote that e-commerce for the merchant to do that exchange. So instant exchanges has been a really exciting development that we've just launched this year. Talk a little bit about some of the mistakes that merchants have made in the past that have in, instituted a whole bunch of friction in the process that really turns buyers off. And you don't have to mention names, but yeah. the reasons why this is changing so drastically, other than just this uptick from, I think you said, $70 billion to $220 billion of returns, there's a, just, be, just the numbers alone don't speak to it. A lot of it is that now... The buyer, and you also mentioned Amazon, that buyers are much more in tune with what it is. Do you have some of those things that, that merchants have done that have really ticked off a buyer? Yeah. Basically, now everybody compares your returns experience to the best returns experience they've had. And frankly, that's how they're going to judge you as a merchant. We've implemented our returns portal for one of our customers. They're in the process of implementing the returns management to speed products more quickly back into circulation. But it's really important to know that you have to address both parts of that equation to satisfy shoppers. So if, for example, you're making it easy for somebody to return, but that you're not processing those returns in an efficient manner, uh, units per hour is a key metric we look at. And our customers are processing like 50 units per hour, whereas before we come in, it's usually, oh, 14, 15, some as little as 10. So you really need to expedite how quickly that stuff goes back. And for that customer, because they haven't yet implemented our returns management to put product back, 
we had, we saw really irate shoppers saying, I'm not going to be shopping with you anymore, and I need my refund back, and what kind of experience is this? And by the way, that customer had not yet implemented a box-free, label-free drop-off. So the customers were saying, I'm comparing this to Amazon, and next time I'm just going to go to Amazon, which is like the worst thing that the D2C e-commerce customers want to hear. We were working through a whole plan with them to actually do two things, implement the returns management in their warehouses so that the products can get back more quickly, and then implement both the express returns to to make it easier for people to send product back and then instant exchanges so they can exchange that. So that was actually a real life example just from a week and a half ago when I was at a customer. Yeah, and I... I like how you've level set the field on dropping it off. And I know that with Amazon, it's so convenient to go down to your local Whole Foods or Kohl's in Mm -hmm. our area too. And, Mm -hmm. and it's instantly credited to you as soon as they scan it at their counter. Yeah. So there is no waiting. Is there other things that merchants should be aware of in terms of maybe hidden things that bug people that aren't boiling up, but that eventually, like, we don't want everything to Amazon to figure out everything. Like, I feel it's that's the the grill in the room, and it's also the very vanilla store, no experience. Uh, That part of the experience is good, but every merchant has the opportunity to make their experience even better, right? Exactly. I think what the kinds of things Amazon is doing is now table stakes, and we're trying to figure out how do you bring technology to help everybody else in the mid-market, in the enterprise, in the high-end SMB compete and win customers. A lot of the customers we talk to are fast-growing lifestyle brands. They have very loyal followings. So I think the other aspect of things is How do you actually promote engagement so you have a continued dialogue with your shoppers? And I think returns is a piece of that equation in terms of what kinds of services do you offer. For example, if you think about clothing rental options, they even allow people to come pick up products from your home, give that extra white glove treatment. And to which our attitude is absolutely, you need to be thinking that way to provide a tremendous level of service, engender that engagement, offer those instant exchanges so that you have a con- continued, oops, sorry about that, continued dialogue going with your customer so that you're really very actively involved and gaining their trust and loyalty so that they come back and shop with you. And we have one of our customers who's fast growing because they've standardized on Optoro. They're now expanding multiple SKUs. So they're going from clothing to home goods to luggage to all kinds of things because they have such a great customer experience and loyal following. So I think something like that would be an awesome thing to look at. Um, The other thing I would suggest is we recently announced that Gap has standardized on Optoro 
for a whole end-to-end customer journey. They're also thinking about how like stores fit in and online fits in. And you think about all the Gap brands, right? You've got Old Navy and Athleta and Banana Republic. And for somebody like Gap, who's really setting the bar for what experiences should be, to be doing all of these kinds of things, I think that's really worth looking at to say, hey, what piece of that could we adopt for ourselves? How do we learn from what leading very successful retailers are doing to help my e-commerce brand succeed and win? Is there a way that the very the mom and pop brands can also share in the same experience? Yeah. So I think the mom and pop brands, certainly one of the things that we're really focused on right now is actually embedding our solution into 3PLs or the places where mom and pop shops go for processing their returns. Once you grow out of your own garage or whatnot and you graduate to a 3PL, I think that is a great way to go. So we're big fans of that. And then what we'd like to do actually is then to your point about kind of data and how do we provide data insights. Our vision really is to really track every SKU, every, every piece of that RMA, every unit and every SKU all the way from initiation to processing to return and then provide those insights back to everybody, not just the enterprise and mid market, but the SMBs as well. So you can really understand What's happening with my product? What's being returned? Why? Where? What can I do about it? I think that kind of benefit, we love the idea of democratizing, leveling the playing field for the little guys against the big behemoths and what customer expectations are nowadays. You talked a little bit about the use of AI. Does hmm. are, are you anonymizing some of that data so you can use it across all verticals or, or especially in... Yeah non-competing vertical or verticals that compete, but you're anonymizing that data so you can leverage that data for others? Uh, Absolutely. Because a lot of times when we talk to our customers, they're very interested to understand, hey, how do I benchmark against others? How am I doing? And that's performance by category, performance by a whole bunch of metrics. So one of the projects that's really active for us is to say, Okay, so if we have processed through our system uh, over 100 million returns, I think it's about 125 million uh, lifetime to date, what are the insights we can gain from that on an anonymized basis that we can use to help retailers benchmark themselves against others? So that's definitely something, those kinds of insights and intelligence and decision-making frameworks is something we're really looking forward to working with our retail partners on. And I think you talked about democratizing that those benchmarks are what really helps the mid market understand where they should be in terms of competing against the very large D2C brands that are doing this now. If you had some kind of nugget that you could give a merchant who has a number of retail stores and and an online presence, what, what would you tell them for 2023? Yeah, I would say figure out what are a couple of key metrics that you need to really win at. And the first one I would say is, are you measuring? And if so, what is your CSAT? Our customers are seeing CSAT in the 90% range. So that's the first question is, am I satisfying my customers? The second thing is, what is my cost to actually manage returns? 
Generally speaking, that's like north of $20 as a whole. We're able to shrink that to half that number between a combination of intelligence and savings and consolidation up front and more efficient management on the back end. The third thing I would say is what is the speed to resale? One of the customers uh, we work with closely, they had 0% of returns resold within 21 days of initiation. And once they got going and, and reached cruising altitude, now it's nearly 50% of returns are resold within 21 days, which means it's many fewer markdowns, not missing that seasonality window. And in fact, they've actually gone to changing the way they do their inventory planning because they have much better visibility and control on the whole sort of returns aspect of the life cycle. Yeah, and that really plays into turnover and how much inventory you need on hand and yeah. what you can do with that. Does it play in if you are if you have multiple warehouses or the ability to ship across returns to a different location and use that that there's going to be there's going to be demand in a certain location, you can shift that. The return can go to one warehouse instead of the other. Absolutely. You can optimize for that. You can optimize for transportation cost savings. The supply chain was really built to optimize for forward. And so the fact that all these returns are happening is like a relatively new development in terms of, wait a minute, now we need to optimize reverse logistics and then think about forward and reverse in an integrated manner, right? Which is what you're talking about. I have returns coming here in the East Coast. I got demand in the Midwest or California. How do I forward position that so that it doesn't come to my DC over here, but maybe it goes to the middle of the country or maybe it goes straight to California because my next customer is waiting over there. Really what's happening with our customers is that the minute a product is returned, you basically want to list that online so that you understand where that product can go next and you're ideally reselling it even before it ever hits your DC. That kind of velocity and speed and visibility is really what we're trying to help uh, customers achieve. And do you think that optimized returns is a whole nother product category? Is it similar to OMS and ERP? where we're doing some retail, you're doing order management, you're doing inventory management, and this is now returns management? You bet. WMS, or a warehouse management system, is where that lives. Recently, we integrated with Locus Robotics, for instance. Speaking of, what are the integrations you need on the supply chain side in terms of the OMS systems and the ERPs? NetSuite is another popular integration. You've got all these integrations. So for enterprise-grade performance, you really need to be able to easily integrate a returns management platform with all the other pipes and wires that are existing on the back end such that you can optimize for speed to refund. One customer, American Eagle is a customer of ours. We did a case study with them. And the speed to refund, they had a 500,000 unit backlog and the refunds were slow. There was limited restocking and now their system is working like a charm. They got 98% of refunds processed within 21 days and they've doubled their processing efficiency. And for that kind of magic to happen, you need a system that's capable of integrating with the back end and adding a ton of value and efficiency and speed to how quickly you could process. 
That's great. We've gone, we've burned through our 20 minutes very quickly here. As we close out the podcast, I give uh, every guest an opportunity to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like to plug. What would you like to plug today? Yeah, Brent, it's been a pleasure talking to you. We would love to talk to merchants and retailers about how we can help them really from a full end-to-end solution. Happy to start at one place and go to another place. And you can find us at optoro, O-P-T-O-R-O dot com. We're on LinkedIn as well. So please hit us up. We'd love to talk to you and understand how we can maybe help you out too. And I'll make sure I get all those into the show notes. Thank you so much for being here today. All right. Thank you so much, Brent. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.